my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair, it's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. Today we're going to hear some of my favorite stories from this season of Math & Magic with lessons we can all use. I'm sure you know I love radio. It's where I started my career, and it's my love for audio that brought me to iHeart. Radio can be transformative for the listener, but also for the on-air personalities. Here's the story of how Charlemagne the God discovered his talent for radio and started a new chapter in his life. You had a lot of problems in school. You graduated from night school. You had some run-ins with the law. You tried a number of jobs first, working at a clothing store, telemarketing agency, flower garden. Your sister hired you and I guess, fired you at Taco Bell for- in two weeks. For, for not taking it seriously. Yeah. Then you discovered radio. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, though, why the bad times? I'm sure you had some explanations then, but looking back now, what do you think it was about? What lessons did you take from that? It was really just about wanting to fit in. When you're not getting- what you need at home, you will get it from the street. And it's not like the love was real in the street. You know, it just made me feel good to be accepted. If my father 
wasn't dealing with the things he was dealing with, and he probably would have embraced me a little bit more and gave me that confidence I needed and, you know, that courage I needed and just empowered me, I probably would have not have gone to the streets the way that I did. What did you take away in terms of your life now from that experience? Nothing. There was nothing beneficial about being in that situation. You have a bunch of skills that you really don't need. I don't need to know how to sell drugs. Like, I, don't, I don't need to know how to carry a firearm because I was carrying it illegally back then anyway. Like None of what I went through then serves me in my adult life other than to have those experiences. So when I'm talking to young men that grew up in these areas, I can relate to them in a different way. And they can look at me and they can say, oh, well, you know, he went through a lot of the same things that I went through. When I started to see a lot of my friends going to jail and like guys around me actually getting prison sentences and people around me actually getting killed and cousins that I used to look up to, they really were the cousins that were doing everything that I was doing previously and they ended up broke under the tree, strung out on drugs or alcohol or whatever it was. That was a wake up call for me at a very young age to say, I don't want to end up like that. So more important than why did radio click with you? I was really just looking for something positive to do. I started working a lot of odd jobs. I worked at the clothing store called Demo in the Mall. I worked at Taco Bell. I worked at this factory called Industrial Acoustics. I worked at a telemarketing place where I used to be the guy that would call your house and try to sell you 12 CDs for a penny. Did you ever do that? Oh, Did yeah. That successfully? Oh, I was one of the best because I knew music. That was a gift that I had. I knew music, so I knew what was good. My mother would tell me, read things that don't pertain to me. I would always listen to things that don't pertain to me. So... I knew everything from Johnny Cash to Fleetwood Mac to the new Jay-Z. Like, I knew all of it. And so I would just know how to sell these things to these people. And um, I used to want to rap, and I was in this recording studio, and I met a guy. His name was Willie Will. He was a radio personality at a, a local station in Charleston called Z93 Jams. And I just asked him, I said, how'd you get in the radio? And he was like, I went down there and I got an internship. And I'm like, it's that easy? Like, I don't have to be in school or anything? And he was like, nah. And mind you, this is 1998 in Charleston, South Carolina, so things are a lot different now. So that's what I did. I went down there the next day and I filled out the internship application and they hired me as an intern in the promotions department. And that's how I got my foot in the door. But I guess this is one of the ways that you could say Discreets helped me because being at the radio station at the time, oh, some of these guys wanted weed. I knew where to get weed. (laughs) (laughs) So I would have the weed for them and they would always want me around. Like they would always request me, yo, I want Charlemagne to drive me to this remote or Yo, Charlamagne, where you at? Come to the studio. So I would just be in the studio, being the fly on the wall, just sitting there watching everybody do their job. And then sometimes they would call me in and ask me my opinion on things. And I would just talk. And the music director one day, his name was Ron White. Ron White was like, yo, you ever thought about being on the radio? And I was like, no, but I am now. Like, yeah, I'll sure, I'll try it. And so they made me voice track one Sunday morning from 11 a.m., to 2 p.m. And I did that for a few weeks and then they immediately cut that out because it was Sunday morning in Charleston, South Carolina and I was a bit too much for that Bible Belt. So they started putting me on Saturdays 7 p.m. to midnight and I voice tracked from 7 to 10 and then from 10 to 12 I would go live. And I think the best thing that ever happened to me was I did not have any radio skills. Nobody taught me the traditional way to do radio. So I would just be talking. I go back and listen now, it sounded terrible. I was yelling and I was screaming and I'm answering the phones and we just was kicking it like how we would kick it, you know, in the hood. And it became very popular in a very short amount of time. One day in there doing overnights, I said to myself, I love this. I've never felt passionate about anything before that. I just knew this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So what advice do you have for those people 
who want to be the next you. That's where you fail. You fail by trying to be the next anything. You should truly just be yourself. Now, it's great to be inspired. Like, I was inspired by a lot of radio personalities, but I would have failed tremendously trying to be any of them. The beauty of life is that we are all blessed to be our own individual, unique personality. That's why our DNA is different than everybody else. If you really tap into who you are and your experiences and what you've been through, you can deliver a story that people can relate to, but nobody else has been through. So I would never tell you to want to be like me because you can't be like me because you haven't gone through what I've gone through. You're not from where I'm from. You're not me. Be yourself. Genuinely be yourself, your true authentic self. And I think that you will be A-OK and you'll be a personality that people want to listen to. Charlemagne is truly one of a kind, and I love that he's part of the iHeart family. Another media pioneer I talked with is Jerry Laybourne, the first president of Nickelodeon and a media innovator. She found her calling creating television for children, and she shared her story of becoming one of the first female executives in television. You had a boss at Nickelodeon before you were the boss. What did you learn from that boss? Well, he was a very conventional, top-down manager. I don't think we had a single team meeting the whole time he was vice president of Nickelodeon. I was the first president, thank you. He had low expectations. He sent all of our good creative problems to old crony friends outside, and he didn't encourage us to work together. I actually kept a notebook of what I would not do when I got to be the boss. So when you gave me the opportunity, I don't know if you remember this, but you kind of looked at me and said, I don't know what you can do, but let's see. It wasn't like, okay, you're now the executive vice president of Nickelodeon. It was just, I know enough not to get rid of you. Let's see what you can do. Oh, my God, nothing could be better than that. Just a straight-on challenge. I took the 20 people that were working for Nickelodeon off to a conference room, and we put all the things we knew about Nickelodeon. Here's what's not working. Here's what's working. And at the end of the day, I knew which people were going to be on the team and which were not. I fired seven people. We needed to be a rebellion. We were taking back Nickelodeon for kids. After the switch to ad support in 1984 and the relaunch of Nickelodeon as the tween channel, you really struck gold. Can you talk a little bit about, one, what that felt like, and two, why you think Nickelodeon caught on like that? Well, first of all, it helps to be the first, to have really no competition, and to be true to your audience. We literally did not put anything on the air that hadn't been tested with kids. And we were adventuresome. We had some big flops. I remember promising you the moon with Turkey TV. It was going to be comedy clips like MTV for kids. And the day it arrived on Memorial Day weekend, 1985, it was even worse than Video Dream Theater. My son, who at this point was 10, just started to sob. This is horrible. You will never work in TV again. I called everybody back to the office, and we spent six days re-editing everything. 
You know, you let me off the hook on that. Well, one thing we all know is you don't come close to getting it right 100% of the no. time. No, in so fact, it's, it's the big flops that... You got to take the chances. You know, we worked for a guy named Steve Ross who ran Warner Communications and then Time Warner. And Steve used to say, you know, Bob, around here, you'll never be fired for making a mistake. You'll be fired for not making a mistake. Yep. So you're not making mistakes tells me you're not trying anything new. Yep. And that was our lifeblood. But it was just so much fun. And the other thing was... If you were working at Nickelodeon, you really had to like kids. I had this trick question, which I would ask any employee, probably illegal. What were you like as a kid? And they tell you everything, how they get along with their siblings, how they're going to work in a team, and what they care about. Let's talk a minute about how it was to be a woman in this very big job, in this very highly visible environment. Well, I had this boss, Bob Pittman. The first day that I was invited into the executive suite, there were only four of us, Tom Preston, you, Bob Berganti, and me. I made my husband quiz me for four hours about sports metaphors. It was terrifying to me. And I come in, and the first sports metaphor that I could possibly come up with, I came up with, and of course, I used tennis metaphor in a basketball court. And you looked at me and said, you can skip that. We have you here for what you know, and I don't care about sports. We want you to be you. You have no idea how incredibly empowering that was. And if men would do that, they would get such better results. But it wasn't that hard for me. You wanted me to be the nerdy, caring, creative, loving head. And you encouraged me to make mistakes and you didn't hold grudges. Let's talk about building companies, building teams. What kind of culture do you need to have a building situation? Well, you need different thinkers at the table. You need people who are strategic. You need people who are creative. You need people who are tactical. And you need to make sure that they feel comfortable giving voice to their point of view and that, in fact, the team depends on them. Debbie B.C. was of the Fred Seibert school. You're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> That's the best thing for a dreamer like me to have. You couldn't have a better relationship. We all had this philosophy that our responsibility was to make sure everybody at the table was getting an A. We had a program called the PIT program, Presidents in Training. So everybody at my executive team were presidents in training. And I promised them, if you come in here and look at our problems from up here, we will all learn to be presidents together. And you won't all be president of Nickelodeon, but you'll get to be president of something. And many of them did. They did. Stay right there. We'll be back after a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. 
Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? It look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Math & Magic. In today's episode, we're picking some of the best stories of how great business leaders got where they are today. I've always believed that you make your own luck. Bobby Brown, founder of Bobby Brown Cosmetics and host of Beyond the Beauty podcast, told me the story of how she grew her startup cosmetics company by capitalizing on every opportunity. Take a listen. 
late 80s, early 90s, you began to make your own makeup. How did that start? Well, not in my kitchen. People say they started making it in their kitchen. I did a shoot for a magazine. I think it was Mademoiselle Magazine. The story was actually on me, how a makeup artist shops in New York City for off-the-beaten-path makeup. We went to Kiehl's, nice guy behind the counter. He's a chemist. I start talking to him about this lipstick I can't find. And he's like, oh, I could make it for you. I said, really? And I told him exactly what I wanted. He made it, sent it back a couple times, not right, too dry, the color. And I said, all right, these are the 10 colors that I think all that you need, really, to get any color out there. And he said, how about this? I'll make the lipstick. You sell it. We'll sell it for $15. You get $7.50. I'll get $7.50. I thought, great idea. And he made them for me, and we started selling them out of my house. By the time you debuted in Bergdorf Goodman in New York by 1991, you figured right. something out. Well, do you know how I figured it out? No, I want to hear that. I was in the elevator in my then apartment in New York, and there was a girl in the elevator, and I said hello, and she said hello, and I said, my name is Bobby. Her name was Sharon, and I said, what do you do? She said, I work at a lab, a cosmetics lab. I said, really? Do you have a card? And that lab still makes the lipsticks today. That is amazing. True story. You debuted in Bergdorf Goodman. Right. They estimated... They would sell 100 lipsticks in the first month, and instead they sold the 100 in the first day. Yes. Did that surprise you? Oh, it was pretty cool. But at the time, I had one baby. I was commuting back and forth from New Jersey to New York. I was still working as a makeup artist. My husband was in law school. You know, money was tight. Everything was kind of a blur. You had to scramble, obviously, to get more, and Bergdorf must have said, wait a minute, we got a hit here. Let's give it the shelf space. Right. Well, we were originally on a table, and the only reason we were on a table is because they didn't have any counter space. People now think it was a brilliant marketing idea, and it was, in retrospect. And then they said, okay, we need lip pencils. We need eye pencils. So we slowly started adding, and it grew. Then Neiman Marcus called and said, we'd love to take you in four stores. And then Barney's called, and then Bendel's called. We didn't have a salesperson to go sell it. That's pretty good when it sells itself. Because it was different than what was on the market. And it was really hitting a nerve. And I think the combination of having this product that actually didn't really look like makeup that was out there, just made you look better. It didn't smell. It felt good. It wasn't greasy. It wasn't dry. Women looked pretty. It was a more natural look. It's what people wanted. And at the same time, not because there was a strategy, but I was the makeup artist doing makeup for the fashion shows, so I got to talk about the trends. Right. I was also on the Today Show. I got to talk about it, and everything together looked like brilliance, but it was just really good luck. I'm sure you made your luck. Let's go back to Bergdorf <laughs> Goodman. How did you get the introduction? It's going to sound like I make this up, but I was at a party, someone's fancy party in New York City, and I said, thank you for inviting me. My name is Bobby. I said, what do you do? <laughs> and she said, I'm a cosmetics buyer at Bergdorf Goodman. And I'm not even kidding. Wow. And that's Can I give you some money to put on the roulette table in <laughs> yeah. Vegas for me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we'd do very well there. So you've been a big success by almost every measure of success, family, financial, work, fame, et cetera. I know there are a lot of folks listening who are building their careers today. What advice would you give them? I mean, I would first of all say there is no rush. I help a lot of young entrepreneurs that I'm friends with, and they always seem like, it has to be done now. Oh, my God, it has to be done. Oh, my God, Series A, Series B. I don't even know. What, like, guys, <laughs> calm down. You've got to build a brand. People think that the whole idea of building a brand is to sell it and make a lot of money. No, build a brand that you love. It takes time. It's like a baby. 
you got to nurture it. Building a brand you love is great advice for entrepreneurs, but for Procter & Gamble, building a brand is also about staying true to your values. In my conversation with Mark Pritchard, Chief Brand Officer of P&G, we talked about some of his most impactful campaigns and how they pushed his brand forward. I want to talk a little bit about the view of this company, and I want to go back in time, back to when you were GM of the CoverGirl business, and you had an epiphany about the broader impact you could have on culture. It had an immediate effect on the easy, breezy, beautiful ag campaign, very well known at that time. Can you tell us what led to that epiphany and how it changed you? What I was doing at the time is I was a general manager of our CoverGirl business, which is Baltimore, and then my wife Betsy and our three daughters, who are all under the age of 10, went to a place called Wind River Ranch up in the Colorado Rockies. It was a spiritual ranch, non-denominational spiritual ranch, because I was born Catholic, my wife's Jewish, my dad was an Alcoholics Anonymous, so he had a higher power, and he was also there with us. When we were there, the spiritual leader at the very end of it came up to me and said, you know, Mark, you really can make a big difference in the world because you're in business. The greatest force for good in the future is going to be business. It's not going to be clergy. It's not going to be government. It's going to be business. If you choose to do so, you can do a lot of good. We had just introduced the Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Girl campaign, and I literally, it was an epiphany where I thought, oh, wow. The effect that we have on the standard of beauty is profound. We're essentially portraying what we view as the standard of beauty. And unfortunately at the time, the spokespeople we had were too young, too skinny, and too white. And I sat there and I looked at my 10-year-old daughters and I said, you know, I have an obligation to do the right thing. And I knew then that we needed to make a change. We brought in Queen Latifah, we brought in Ellen DeGeneres, Sofia Vergara, Pink, Janelle Monet. We became diverse. We moved to a standard of beauty that came from within as opposed to externally. And it was really a very profound moment because I realized how much impact advertising can have on people's perceptions. And that was really the start of what I hope we're doing now. At that moment, what was the reaction internally from the consumers and from the ad industry? Well, at first, when I went back and talked to our, the agencies at the time, they're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not what women want to see. They don't want to see themselves. They want to see other people who are the, quote, better version of themselves. Mm, I said, no, 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 no. We need to try. We can do something that's better. Thankfully, Alice Erickson, who was the creative director at the time, did a magnificent job, and she's the one who really, along with the other team, brought in Queen Latifah. That really is what transformed that campaign and that brand. What was the reaction internally when you came back with this epiphany? You know, internally, people got it. They got it pretty quickly. They thought, you know, yeah, this is something we can do, and we went for it. It really unlocked a lot of creativity. P&G is a huge company, but it has a heart that you might actually expect from a nonprofit. You talked a little bit about where this came from, but I'd like to hit a couple of the things you've done and are doing just to get a little context on it. Love over bias. Can you give us a minute on that? Yeah, love over bias was our last Olympic ad, which was 
trying to shine the light on the bias that exists in the world and then imagine what the world could see if they looked at it through mom's eyes and looked at people through mom's eyes. It was just a brilliant ad. It was one of the best we'd ever done. It was also directed by Alma Harrell, who is, you may know, founded Free the Work. Just a brilliant director, gave just such a touch to it that was just phenomenal. That really helped build our business at the same time. Were you able to measure it in any way, the impact it had on changing attitudes? Primarily, the way we measured that one is through just the sentiment that it provided, the reactions that we got. If an ad is really brilliant or a piece of work is really brilliant, it does amplify and get carried. You've been a vocal advocate for pay equality. Mm -hmm. I think, if my numbers are right, about 45% of the managers of the company are now women. How 47%. Did, 47, sorry, I was old numbers. How did the company do that? What was the process to get there? Because I think there's a lesson in that for a lot of other companies that are wrestling with the same issue. A big part of that came from leadership. When I started, there were not many women managers. But the leadership at the time, John Smale, then eventually John Pepper and others, said diversity is important. And that led to, over time, now at the 47%, and we're seeking to get to 50%. Our leadership still today, David Taylor, is absolutely adamant about the power of diversity. And over time, what we also found, Bob, was that diversity is not only the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do when it comes to building business. The most diverse companies, the most diverse teams tend to do better. It's gender, it's race, it's ethnicity, it's uh, sexual and gender identity, it's ability, religion, and age. And we look at things now on an intersectional basis because it's intersectional equality that's important. A big part of that is because that's who we serve. We serve all humanity. So therefore, our company needs to reflect humanity. So we're deliberately focusing on that. We're not where we want to be yet, but we're absolutely deliberate about making a difference there. That's it for today's episode of Math & Magic. Hope you picked up some valuable insights. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled series next week with another guest from the front lines of marketing. Until then, I'm Bob Pittman. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Etor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia. And you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.